0: Hello, and welcome to the Training for Influence podcast, brought to you by me, Tammy Banks, Director of Tay Training and founder of the Training for Influence method. But it's not just me who you'll be hearing from. I'll be joined by a selection of our expert facilitators, as well as sector colleagues and fellow organisations, all in an effort to provide important learnings for key workers, people on the front line who are new, potentially inexperienced, volunteering, possibly agency workers, or perhaps returning to work previously retired professionals. This podcast is not a replacement for training. It aims to highlight important topics to act as an introductory resource for those delivering services under these unprecedented circumstances. We're covering safeguarding, managing challenging behaviour, risk management, professional boundaries, equality and diversity and the Mental Capacity Act. We asked our facilitators to select five top takeaways from a course they deliver. Takeaways the delegates have fed back that are really key or they as a facilitator think are fundamental to the session. So today's session is Safeguard and Responder and I have the absolute privilege of co-hosting with Carol. Carol joined Tay in May 2017 so it's coming up for three years of her delivering for us. Carol delivers Safeguard and Responder designated safeguarding officer and she is the lead facilitator for our domestic abuse training courses she delivers domestic abuse working with people who have the potential to cause harm domestic abuse working with victims and survivors and domestic abuse awareness and level 2 at the CQC standard so welcome Carol it's really brilliant to have you here and thank you for giving up time to contribute to this podcast thanks Tammy Please can you introduce yourself and tell us why you deliver the Responder Session for Tay? My name's Carol and I
1: deliver the Responder for Tay as I am a manager in a local authority with a team of eight staff who go out and deliver parenting programmes to vulnerable people within our communities. That brings lots of safeguarding issues back into the office so I've got the necessary experience of managing a team, and dealing with the day-to-day safeguarding issues that the team bring up and bring back to me. I'm also, if I'm the only manager in the building, I'll also be the safeguarding responder for anybody else within the building that I work as well.
0: Fantastic. Tell us a little bit about your experience, Carol, connected to safeguarding. So you just talked there about being a manager for local authority within a team where safeguarding is forefront of everything you do. But you've not done that forever, have you? Mm -hmm. So tell us a little bit about some of your experience. My
1: experience of safeguarding goes right back to when I worked in a local authority nursery school. That's where I started understanding safeguarding and the impact that child protection and adult care can have on families. From the local authority, I went into the health sector. So again, that was a very different position to work in. But again, safeguarding was still part of that role because I was undertaking home visit and with families with new babies and small children. So always aware for signs of any child protection issues. Then I came into the local authority and was a family support worker. So I was involved in visiting families and being part of case conferences, child protection conferences, working very much with team around the family approach. And now I'm, I manage a team of aid staff who bring safeguarding issues into me on a regular basis.
0: So how long have you worked in Connected Field to safeguarding? As a manager for eight years and as a practitioner for 10 years. Oh gosh, so you've racked up a whole adult life. <laughs> Today we're talking about safeguarding responder. This course has a direct link to safeguard and awareness. Managers should have attended safeguard and awareness before they come on the responder course. This is to ensure that they have the understanding of the legislation, the categories of abuse and the signs and symptoms. People would then either go onto the alerter course if they're an operational member of staff or the responder course. Did you manage to pick out five key learning points?
1: I did. My first key learning point is... What is a responder? Because the word on its own doesn't actually mean anything. I've also want to look at the National Safeguarding Framework and how important it is that responders are comfortable with that framework. I want to look at the safeguarding responsibilities of a responder so that everybody who comes on the course understands what responsibilities there are around safeguarding. I'm also going to look at reporting to the local authority and how to support your staff to do that and feel confident in reporting to the local authority or to other people. And finally, I'm going to look at emotional resilience and the importance of looking after yourself
0: to enable you to look after your staff team. Fantastic. That sounds like we've got a great session coming up. So, Carol, you've delivered this course many, many times when you were picking out your five key points. How difficult was it to choose?
1: I found it very difficult because there's so much within the responder. And being a manager, you have responsibility over so much that feeds into safeguarding. So, for instance, supervision is key to safeguarding practice. But I felt that some of the other things that I've included were more relevant for this
0: podcast. Yeah, absolutely. But it's a lot to cover even in a day's training, isn't it? The responder information that you're going through.
1: It certainly is because the Responder course is very much about people bringing their own experiences and sharing their ideas rather than me standing at the front of a room and just going through a PowerPoint. It's very much about them and what they want to get out of the course. And as the day goes on, they become more comfortable with each other. And I don't like having to stop conversations, but sometimes uh, we have to, otherwise we're not going to get everything in.
0: Yeah, absolutely. The Responder course in particular is a really important course to facilitate and to recognise the other experience in the room because everybody there is sat there as a manager and everybody brings their own experiences. And when I've delivered the Responder course previously, I've absolutely learned a lot myself from other people in the room that spend their time within different sectors or working with different client groups. And sharing that information is really important.
1: It certainly is and one of the things that I always get from any tear course that I deliver is the learning that I get from other people and then I have that information and knowledge that I can take back and use with my team and colleagues as well.
0: That's why one of the elements of the training for influence methodology is about being delivered by an operational expert, somebody who's walked the walk before they talk the talk and facilitate the training for exactly that reason so that. We can share that experience, share our own knowledge, but recognise that we're facilitating the learning rather than always imparting that information. People come along and if um, people take away different learning points and different information and nobody's ever going to take away 100% of everything that they're shown in a training session, but they do take away what they need and what resonates with them and what their colleagues are saying and support from their colleagues as well. Definitely. So let's look at your learning points Then let's start with um, learning point number one. Remind us what it is and then talk us through why you picked that.
1: So learning point number one is what is a responder? Because the word in itself, for some people, they don't actually understand what that means. But what we say on the programme is a responder is anybody who manages staff and volunteers within their organisation. And as a manager, you're expected to be involved in multiple levels of safeguarding throughout your, your work. So one of the first activities we do do is um, get them to just discuss in pairs and feedback, you know, what is a responder and come up with a little definition. So the definition that I always go back to is that a responder acts on information and they have a responsibility to understand safeguarding policies and procedures within their own organisation. And also the local authority processes, policies and procedures as well. And that helps them to enable their staff to write reports in a correct manner using using the correct terminology. A responder also needs to be reactive. So responding to any situations that come up in the workplace. And also a preventative role, supporting the staff to manage risk and One of the key things that does come out of the course is that being a responder can actually be quite a lonely place for some people, especially if they work in a rural area or if they are not involved in a large organisation with lots of other people of the same experience around to bounce ideas off each other. So I find that people coming on the course will often share emails or phone numbers so that they've got that support at the end of the phone, just to bounce ideas off each
0: other as well. Yeah, absolutely. I always find that a a real benefit of the responder course is that people do kind of come in, sit down. And actually, people kind of come into the responder course, sit down, do a big sigh and go, oh, don't need to be here. I've been working in this field 20 years. I've done safeguarding every year since I've been working um, for X, Y and Z organisation. What are you going to teach me yeah. anything new? And then when you or I or one of the other facilitators turns around and says, actually, I'm not here to teach you to suck eggs. I'm here to give you six and a half, seven hours of time where you get to think about your own practice. You get to connect with your colleagues. I'll introduce you to some more material, more information because legislation, guidance, themes, thresholds, etc. change regularly. I'll introduce you to all anything that's changed since the last time you've had any of your training, but hopefully what you'll take from this is actually the real luxury of being able to take a deep breath, share with some of your colleagues your concerns, share some of the things that have gone exceptionally well for you, and learn from some of your colleagues. Actually, within the sectors that we work in, managers don't often have time to just stop and think and reflect and breathe a little bit. So once once we say that at the beginning of the session, people usually go, oh, okay then, that's all right. (laughs) Um, And engage more positively from that perspective. But we quite often have that at the beginning. And then at the end of that, you're exactly right. People quite often have built relationships with other people in the room, recognizing that being a responder can be quite lonely for some people. And they've built those relationships and those connections with other people and they um, keep in contact and support each other moving forward as well. Which sometimes amazes me because sometimes that happens within organisations and actually externally, you'd think they already would have those relationships, but they don't necessarily.
1: Totally agree.
0: Thanks, Carol. That's brilliant. A great first learning point. Terminology can be everything. Whether you call yourself a responder, a designated safeguarding officer or a designated safeguarding lead, it's about understanding what your responsibilities are and having a shared language within your team and within your organisation. So, Carol, can you tell us what did you pick for your second top takeaway?
1: So my second top takeaway is the National Safeguarding Framework. It's really important that managers understand the relevance of all the guidance and legislation and how that impacts on your local organisation's policies, procedures and guidance. We'd love people to read some of the statutory guidance, but most people don't have time. The legislation is quite difficult and complicated, but that underpins everything that comes above it. So, The legislation then goes on to the government guidance, which then influences national professional standards, policy and procedures and guidance. And again, that should influence local authority policy, procedure and guidance. And in turn, your organisation's policy, procedures and guidance, they're right at the top of the triangle. And they should be helping you to understand that your organisation is able to advocate effectively for your client group, whether they're children or adults in need. And you should be able to follow with faith that if you understand your local organization policy procedures and guidance you'll be able to follow with faith that you're meeting all of your statutory obligations in safeguarding
0: yeah so it's really important isn't it that managers have an understanding of that safeguarding framework because then they'll they can support their teams to be able to work within it effectively and it would be brilliant if people had time to read all of the documents and really understand how they connect together but realistically life isn't like that so I know when I've delivered this course historically we say to people you absolutely should understand and have a working knowledge of your organisation's policies and processes um, internally and you should have taken the time to understand the local authorities policies and processes because they very directly link to thresholds and local actions and what multi-agency work is happening locally, and how to report abuse and advocate for other people. So if people only have the opportunity or the time available to read a couple of the documents, the ones that we'd always recommend are your organisation's policies and the local authority that you're operating within as well.
1: Most definitely I think it's really important that you are familiar with your local authority policies and procedures because within there there'll be the local terminology which can be useful when reporting concerns you know if you've got the right terminology it will make a difference as to whether something is accepted or not by social
0: care. Brilliant thank you Carol and what about number three then what's your third learning point? My third learning point is safeguarding responsibilities.
1: So, what are safeguarding responsibilities of a responder or of an organisation as well, and the responder within that organisation?
0: And how how do you explore the safeguarding responsibilities? How does this work on the course? And can you give me an example of a couple of them?
1: So, on the course, everybody gets a handout, and there are 20 safeguarding responsibilities on that sheet, ranging from um, there's a trained, knowledgeable, approachable, approachable designated safeguarding officer at all times, through to keeping the accurate records of concerns and actions, ensuring that organisations meet the requirements of its insurance insurers regarding safeguarding. And what people do is they complete this form on their own, answering the question, are you sure that this is happening in your organisation? And then the next column would be, well, who should be doing it or who is doing it? And the final column is who should be doing it and who should be checking that it's done. So everyone completes it individually, even if they're from the same organisation as or somebody else. And then we get people into pairs and then they compare the answers. And they have to be able to prove that they, they've said that this is happening. So how do you know that's happening? You know, And a bit of challenge going on within the group. This then leads to an action plan for everybody to take away. What should we be worried about within our organisation? And what should you as a responder do next? It's also a chance to look at what is actually working well within an organisation from a safeguarding point of view. Some people feel quite threatened by this form because they may not know the answers, but we try and reassure everybody that not everybody knows all the answers to everything. And if you don't know, part of an action plan to take away and find out who is doing that role within your organisation.
0: That's a really interesting activity isn't it because it works really well within big complex organisations and within small organisations as well because people start realising that they don't know how things connect together internally or externally and I've seen some real penny drop moments where you've had Managers have been working on the SM t- senior management team, for instance, together for years, and actually they've got some real gaps in their understanding and their knowledge with regards to who's undertaking certain roles within organizations. and it, it highlights that and gives them the real motivation by their action plan to go and find out that information and to then share it with their teams, because if they don't know, then it, the potential is that their teams might not know either.
1: Definitely. And again, I would reiterate that there's no shame in not knowing. It's about going and asking the question and finding out if you don't know.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think people are reassured as well when they look around and realise that lots of other people in the room don't know things too. I do think that 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 really does help people. And when the activity is done on numerous managers in the same organisation, it's a really good bonding activity because they quite often recognise that together they tick all of the boxes. So if they share that information and share that experience with each other, actually they've got this covered. And so quite often it pulls them to working together more effectively as well.
1: Certainly does. And for me, working in a local authority, which is a huge organisation, I always complete it as well. And some of the things I'm not sure exactly who does that. So I then go back and just ask the question as well.
0: Yeah. Brilliant. So three down, two to go. Um, What's your number four, Carol? Number four
1: is about reporting to the local authority.
0: So this is a really interesting and can get quite complex for some people can't it? It certainly
1: can and some people feel quite uh, nervous about reporting especially if they're new to management they're not quite sure they may have done it as a practitioner and feel that they are aware of what happens but as From a manager's point of view, it's quite different and challenging. It's about supporting your team, your staff, your volunteers to be confident and competent in safeguarding. I think also it's about being able to challenge any safeguarding issues that come through to you as well. You have that role of challenging, asking the questions, making sure that everything has been done following correct policies and procedures, and then being aware of how to escalate issues as well. So it's, uh, it's quite a wide ranging role for a responder
0: yeah but that really connects quite nicely with what you were saying earlier about the importance of understanding the safeguarding framework and reading the local authorities policies and processes because if you have that understanding of the framework and the knowledge of the policies and processes you can give that challenge in a real supportive way to your team you can say this is the evidence i need this is how i need you to report it to me this is the context that we're working within the thresholds that we need to be aware of etc so if you've got that underpinning knowledge you can absolutely help your frontline workers Those people who absolutely have relationships with their customers, with their clients, and you can ask them those questions in a way where you can be a critical friend, but bring that from a very supportive perspective so that you've got all of the information needed, ready to take that to the local authority and make the best case when you're making that report. And also looking Looking at whether there are any other services that can be involved and can support that individual or that family and whether a report is needed or whether actually what's needed is increased services at this point.
1: You're quite right, Tammy. And I think that a lot of people who come on the Responder, they always have time to ask their feedback, their reflections on how they feel reporting goes within their local authority and within their organisation. And it's a good opportunity, again, to just have those real good discussions in a safe arena.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I know um, I've had many a discussion where we've sat down and looked specifically within the course in break time and lunch time. We've looked specifically at certain local authority processes and at elements of the legislation and put together different pieces to support a manager to go back and challenge a decision that's been made about somebody Mm -hmm. that one of their team members have been working with. And it does sound really simplistic when you think about it, but you said earlier about understanding the terminology of the local authority. Understanding the terminology, building some relationships with the local authority where it's all possible, and working within their policies and processes with a real understanding of the legislation can absolutely help you get a better service, better response, better support for the customer that you're advocating for or for the concern that you're raising as well?
1: Most definitely. the things that come up within this part of the session as well is around good supervision and making sure that safeguarding is included in all supervision meetings, and also case notes, having that manager's oversight on any case notes and recordings. And some organisations will use chronologies, which, again, can be really vital when it comes to safeguarding reporting.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Brilliant. So we're down to the last one now. So um, your number five, and I think that you said this was emotional resilience. And this made me giggle a little bit because everybody that I've spoken to on the podcast, each facilitator I've spoken to, irrelevant of the course, has brought emotional resilience as their number five. And I've had to persuade some people to take it off just so that you guys on the podcast <laughs> don't hear it constantly (laughs) however that is how important we think it is that is how important we think it is that frontline workers absolutely look after themselves and make sure that they're capable of being able to provide really good services to their teams and to their customers as well so within responder emotional resilience is really important isn't it carol so tell us why you picked this from a manager's perspective
1: I think from a manager's perspective, often managers forget about themselves, are so busy looking after their team that they forget about themselves. And I know I'm guilty of that myself. I'll tell my staff that they need to take a break at lunchtime, move away from their computers, but I'll quite happily eat my sandwich over, my, over lunchtime um, while I'm going through emails, et cetera. So I'm often guilty of not being a good role model in looking after myself and having time away from my screen. If you look after your team, your team are going to look after each other and look out for each other, and they're going to support each other as well. It's okay to relax and have a little bit of fun within your team and look after each other. Within safeguarding, our roles are really quite responsible and can be quite hard hitting at times. So you need to have that little bit of time without needing permission to just let your hair down a little bit. And that doesn't mean going out and partying all night long. It might be about bringing in some cake on a Friday or having a dress down day. There's lots of ideas that come from within the group session that I take back to my team as well.
0: Can you give us some examples of some of those ideas?
1: Absolutely. So I just mentioned about bringing cake in on a Friday or dress down days. I know that some ideas that have come from the groups have been about having some teams have got like a WhatsApp group where they can just check in with each other. And I think especially this time where we're all away from our teams, it's really important that we can just check in with each other, you know, post some silly jokes and things, just lift the situation and lift the mood a little bit to know that people are there for you. I think recognising your limitations as well, knowing that you need to just have a break, maybe just going for a walk at lunchtime, even if it's only five minutes around the block, you're getting some fresh air, you're doing a bit of mindfulness, it can be something really, really simple to organise in team nights out, but it doesn't have to cost money. There's lots of things that can be done.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think you're right when we say as managers, we quite often forget about ourselves whilst we're looking out for our team. But we absolutely. also need to we also need to role model looking after ourselves because it's It's become really clear to me throughout my career at different points within my career and it's only hindsight that's kind of helped me realise it. But there's been times when my emotional resilience has been really low and actually that's impacted the service that I can offer my customers. That's impacted my decision making and it's influenced how safe I am delivering those services as well because of other things that are going on in my life and where my emotional resilience is at that point personally. So quite often we can say, Mm -hmm. oh, well, actually, I haven't got time for myself. But you know what, even if it takes reframing it to say, well, I need to take time for myself so that I can be the best that I can be within my role where I'm helping other people and supporting other people as well. Sometimes we need to reframe it, but we need to recognise actually all of this is interconnected. When we deliver the professional boundaries course, there's a big part within the professional boundaries course about emotional resilience because of the impact it has. If your emotional resilience is low, it can have a huge impact on your professional boundaries. And so we cover that from a different perspective within that course as well.
1: It's about giving yourself permission to do that because you have to look after your own health and well-being. Otherwise, you're not there for your customers or your client group.
0: Or your family or your friends or yourself. Yeah. So my, um, What I'm going to say now is um, you have got time because you can put your headphones in. You can listen to these podcasts and effectively, if you're still working and learning, go for that walk, take in a few um, deep breaths. At the moment, make sure you're two meters away from everybody else, but get some fresh air, take some time for yourself and look after each other. Carol, I've had a wonderful time chatting to you this afternoon. So thank you so much for giving up your time for me and for just being such a brilliant facilitator for Tay. We get fantastic feedback every time you deliver the Responder course, or any of the courses that you deliver for Tay, we always get brilliant feedback where people have said how much they've learned, but also how much they've enjoyed your company and enjoyed working with you and sharing their examples with you and feeling valued within the group. So thank you very much for bringing that across really quite clearly today as well.
1: You're welcome, and thanks to you because I started on the Responder by shadowing you. So a lot of what I learned and what I now deliver came directly from you. So thanks to you too.
0: Ah, oh, thanks. Well, don't blame me for any bad habits, will you? I just want the good stuff. I will. <laughs> Brilliant. Thank you very much, Carol. Take care, won't you? I will, and you. Thanks so much for listening today. We hope it's been time well spent. I'd like to finish by saying a huge thank you. Whether you're working or volunteering on the front line with vulnerable and/or complex people, a manager supporting a team, or part of the cogs that keep the wheels of a frontline organisation turning. Truly, thank you. It's only together that we can help people stay safe and prevent harm and abuse. Please don't forget about yourself, though. No one, no matter how amazing, can pour from an empty cup. There is a reason emotional resilience features in all our courses, irrelevant of the subject. It's because it matters. You matter. Take care of yourself. If you'd like to know more about me, Tammy Banks, Tay Training, or the Training for Influence methodology, please have a read of the show notes. You can also find us on all social media platforms at Tay Training or contact me directly via email tammy at taytraining.org.uk If you hadn't noticed already, I love to talk. Have a good day.